There, there is nothing to writing. All you do is sit down at a typewriter and bleed and bleed and bleed. What's this? Bleeding Ink, a podcast for indie authors with J.S. Leonard. You've stumbled upon episode five of Bleeding Ink. Thanks for coming by. Appreciate it. So we all know writing's pretty darn hard. It can it can be hard. It, it's mostly hard. It's often hard. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's phenomenal. But 98% of the time, it's usually a bit of a challenge to get those words on paper and to make them sound amazing and beautiful and wonderful and, and, and affect people. Um, so today I have an amazing guest who helps people write better. His name is Joe Bunting. He is the founder of the Write Practice. He has written numerous uh, posts on, on how to better your writing. He's written a short story called Hands. He's written a number one Amazon bestseller. And, you know, he's actually just a really awesome, nice, super cool dude that uh, I couldn't have had more fun interviewing. So another thing about this episode is we're also doing a giveaway. If you head over to www.bleedinginc.fm, you can enter in a giveaway to get uh, one of Joe's books, How to Write a Short Story. And you know what? We might throw a couple more in there to uh, sweeten the deal, sweeten the pot. Anyways, without further ado, here's my interview with Joe. Okay. Enjoy. Hey, everybody. I'd like to welcome a really cool guy today. His name is Joe Bunting. He is the creator of The Right Practice, and he's an all-around awesome guy. Joe, thank you so much for appearing on Bleeding Inc. Really. Um, I know our, our listeners are going to love this, and I know you've done a lot um, to help you know budding authors and seasoned authors and all kinds of authors all around. So thank you for, for appearing on the show. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. So you and I uh, recently met at the World Domination Summit um, at a meetup where you, Tim Grawl, and Jeff Goins threw something together to um, just get a bunch of authors together. And, and uh, how, how do you think that went? Well, I think the main goal actually was to get a bunch of authors drunk. But, yeah. That, uh, so that on that level, it was, I would say it was a success. Yeah. Yeah. I was definitely <laughs> among them. I tried to hold back, but it's hard when there's free drinks. <laughs> yeah. No, it was a lot of fun. We uh, got to meet a lot of really great people. And um, yeah, I mean, I think that's the goal. Yeah, is that something you would... Um, suggest for say other authors who are trying to build their platform to do is like try and do meetups whenever possible and, and just get the word out. You think it was yeah. successful? I mean, definitely. I think writers uh, want to be maintain this image of like a reclusive person, you know, who's writing in their ghetto and, mm-hmm. and they're just focused on the craft and nothing else, you yeah. know? I, I tend uh, to write write in ghettos, so that's that sounds just <laughs> like me. <laughs> yeah, and and the reality is, I think most people, most writers, were a lot more connected than we give them credit for. Yeah. Um, so. Cool. Yeah, well, yeah, I think we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But go ahead and tell me a little bit about yourself. I want to know what makes Joe Bunting tick. Like, where'd you grow up? How'd you get into writing? Yeah, I grew up in a little town outside of Santa Barbara, California, mm. little beach town. And it was, uh, you know, it's, it's funny because I grew up in this beautiful, amazing place in California and I never enjoyed the beach. I was like, I am not a beach person. <laughs> yeah. You- I was going to say it's not a bad life, but now, like, now I'm all sad. <laughs> no. um, it was really hard for me growing up in paradise. Yeah. I, my <laughs> wife and I recently took a staycation here in Vegas because, you know, we're thinking about moving at some point and we yeah. know we'd kick ourselves if we didn't do that at least once. So I totally feel you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I grew up in uh, Carpinteria and then I went to school uh, at a little college called Westmont College, mm-hmm. studied literature and writing, and you know I dreamed about being a writer. So this and, is something uh, you wanted to do from a young age. You knew early on. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I was 16 or 17. Nice. And I was reading a book. Um, I can't remember what it was, but... Oh, I, man, I really, I really want to know what this book is now. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> oh, well, so said book, what did it do? And I, I just thought, you know, what, what do I want to be when I grow up? Wouldn't it be cool to like, just get to lay around reading books all the time and hanging out with the characters you've created? Um, I thought that's like what the author's life was. You just hung out with the characters that, you know, were in your imagination and you wrote about them. <laughs> and that sounds like the best life ever. It really does. <laughs> did you find that life? <laughs> Not if at you all. did, I would love to, <laughs> to be a part of it. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that writing is actually really, really hard. <laughs> yeah. So in an effort to sort of, you know, make things easier, like wh- how did you approach, you know, getting better at writing and figuring out what you're going to do with your career? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so after college, I, I, uh, was working this really horrible job. I was, I called myself or I called myself like a professional coffee maker and mm copy maker. I made a lot of photocopies in that job. It was really horrible. Yeah. And I was, I was just so bored and I didn't have enough to do. So I decided to start a blog. And And when was this? This was in, this was just a year after college. And, and about what year was that? Oh, you're asking me to, to date Um, myself. Sorry. I think it was 2007. Okay. All right. So that's, yeah. uh, it's like, like what, eight years ago. Yeah. So that was a while yeah. ago. Okay. Yeah. So I started a blog and I decided I was going to write every day and, mm-hmm. you know, I studied writing in college and I had done a, you know, a lot of dreaming about writing, mm-hmm. but I hadn't really written anything mm-hmm. uh, besides, you know, what I was supposed to do for school. Yeah. And so I started blogging every day and it, it changed my life and taught me discipline and mm-hmm. taught me, you know, how to write. I mean, it's amazing that the act of writing can teach you how to write. Yeah, it's I think, true. I think it's amazing, you know, when people wake up to the moment when they're just like, oh, it's just practice. That's all yep. I need to do. There's no trick to it. <laughs> yep. Um, yep. So what, what type of things were you writing on your blog at this time? Just like the worst, most, you know, narcissistic little blog posts. Nice. <laughs> I mean, like just whatever you. I wanted. It, it was, it was totally aimless, but, uh, you know, it helped me connect with that thing inside of me that was calling me to express something. Right. You yeah. know, and I think we all have to kind of connect with, connect with that thing that drives us, you know? Yep. Um, and spend a long time connecting with it before we can really write something remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that. So when did it shift then? Like you were writing your blog and Uh you're doing all these narcissistic posts about (laughs) what you, what you ate for breakfast and what you thought about politician X. And, um, you know, how did that slowly shift into wanting to help other people write? Yeah, it took a long time. I mean, I wrote a lot of posts. Um, I spent a year traveling and writing while I traveled and um, used that kind of as an exercise and observation and and writing stories. And then I I got back home after traveling for a year and Mm -hmm. uh, kind of lucked into a job ghostwriting someone's book. Nice. So you wrote every day while you were traveling or mostly every day? Yeah, I tried to write almost every day. That's great. And, and, and what, like about how much, you know, were you trying to output each day? I just, I don't know. I, I wasn't like super structured. I mean, I think it's hard to be very structured when you're traveling. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And, you know, on the train from Bulgaria to Istanbul and, and trying to you know, figure out how to write. It's, it's Sounds not like a pretty good easy. trip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. Uh, got a lot of 
Yeah. Um, I think traveling is something that every writer should do, or, or if not, they need to watch travel shows and fake it. <laughs> yeah. But, um, so you got back and you got a job, um, ghost writing. Um, can you talk about that at all? Yeah. Yeah. I can oh. definitely talk about it. So it was, it was one of those situations where I had been doing some free work. Mm-hmm. You know, Pro people, yeah. People are kind of like divided about free work. Some people mm-hmm. say you should always do free work, you know, as long as it, it's going to be a good experience. And some people say you should never do free work because you're worth more than that. Yeah. And, you know, for me, it was just an opportunity to serve a friend and, uh, and it was a good experience. So I, I edited his book for a long mm-hmm. time and several months. And when I got back from traveling, I, I had a conversation with him and I didn't have a job. And he said, why don't you write my book? And, Interesting. Okay. And, uh, yeah, it was the first kind of book I'd ever written, ever worked on. And, uh, it was probably like one of the hardest experiences of my life. (laughs) (laughs) I think everyone's first book is, is downright evil. (laughs) Yeah. No matter if you're writing it for someone else or or whatever, it's, it's pretty rough. And I think that's where you probably learn the most too, is that first book, man. Oh, um, so can you explain the process of ghostwriting a little bit? Like what was that experience like yeah. uh, on a career level and, and why you didn't maybe pursue that and instead went down the right practice path? Right. And I've, I've actually written, I've ghostwritten three or four books. Um, oh. And it's actually something I do kind of on the side. You know, some writers freelance for magazines. I kind of ghostwrite books. Uh-huh. Uh, so, so uh, how does one come to you and say, Hey, I've got this idea and, and how, how involved are they in, in the end product? Yeah. Yeah. I only work with people who are very involved. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't want to ever write a book. That's my book with someone else's name on it. Yeah. Um, I, the only people I want to work with are people who already have an idea uh, who already have amazing stories and, and usually, you know, like 30 years of experience. Okay. And so were these nonfiction or fiction? Yeah, these were all nonfiction. Oh, okay. They're nonfiction. Interesting. Right. All right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I just spent a lot of time with them, interviewing them and getting kind of their ideas on paper and just turning it into a book. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's not a lot of magic to it, but uh, it is it, it is actually kind of a cool experience. I, yeah, I bet. You know, there's not, you know, many other jobs where you can sit uh, with someone and learn everything they know about a topic, usually something that they've been doing their entire life uh, and just learn. Yeah. Do you find yourself acting sort of like an archaeologist and uncovering, you know, bits and pieces in their mind where they didn't even realize they had this nugget of knowledge and and you just provided perspective because they were able to bounce it off of you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And usually what I have to do, you know, is is uncover stories. Um, And usually it's like the darker stories. Um, (laughs) it's, It's always a little bit easier to tell your good stories. Uh, but you also have to kind of get into people to tell their not so good stories, which sure. really develop kind of their humanity. Yeah. They became um, a, so that's kind of my character. favorite part. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, interesting. Interesting. So were these all pro bono or did you, <laughs> did you do the first one free and the next one was a million dollars? No, no, they happened? were all paid. I mean, the, the editing was free, uh-huh. uh, but then the book project was was paid. Yep. And uh yeah. So uh, it's my job. <laughs> so, so so for all the naysayers out there, you know, you start free and then you upgrade to not free. I, I don't yeah. I don't see why there's a problem with that. Yeah. I yeah. do believe once you you start, you know, commanding some type of pay that you get paid what you're worth. But I yeah. definitely think pro bono is a way for, you know, an inexperienced person to um I gain credibility, you know, um, cause I mean, if they don't have anything, why should anyone trust you? You know? Right. Um, right. so I think that's a perfectly fine thing. 
<clears throat> but I do believe in getting paid really well for what you do. I'm not trying to say, you know, that either, yeah. which can be, a, which can be difficult in, uh, in the writing world. <laughs> okay. So you wrote these, well, so this is, this has been going on ongoing since that time you wrote the first book, you've kind of ghost written since then, and you continue to do yeah. so today. Yeah. Um, so that first ghost written novel or, or fiction book or nonfiction, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Um, when you ended, when you finished that, like what was next for you and, and how did that lead into the right practice? Yeah, that's a good question. I was kind of thinking about the right practice, uh, you know, after I was sort of starting to wrap up that first book and mm-hmm. I knew I wanted to get into more creative writing. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew I wanted to get better at the craft. I knew I wasn't really, you know, good enough mm-hmm. yet. And so I kind of treated the right practice, kind of conceived of the right practice um, as a way to really apprentice myself to the craft of writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, uh, you know, to teach. I like teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, you learn better through teaching. Yeah. I was just going to say that if you really want to learn something, go teach it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, And, you know, I wanted to build a platform too. I knew kind of at the time that you were supposed to be building a platform if you wanted to be a writer. And I felt like, you know, this could be a really good way to do that. About Uh, when was this? I know I'm dating you again. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No, this is, this was in 2011. Okay, so 2011, so about four years ago. Yeah. Okay. It was actually July 1st, 2011. There you go. See? I published my first post. You totally dated it perfectly. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. Um, (laughs) And that was your first post under the right practice blog. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Interesting. Um, And so you've had four years now. Now, how how does the right practice today help, you know, budding authors and seasoned authors? Yeah. So I think, you know, the reason my first idea for the right practice and and what it still is, is that I wanted to create a place for people to practice writing deliberately. And at the time, you know, I had just read Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. Great book. Yeah. It's really great. And and had heard about this concept of the 10,000 hour rule. Yeah. And uh, and then I read Jeffrey Colvin and some other articles about this idea of deliberate practice that, you know, you can practice something uh, and not get anywhere. You know, mm-hmm. you, could, you could write forever mm-hmm. and not become that much better at writing, but the best performers practice deliberately. Mm-hmm. They practice, uh, you know, one task repetitively. They get feedback. The feedback is really essential yep. to practicing deliberately. And I, you know, I wanted to know, like, how do you practice writing deliberately? Because at the time, you know, I just didn't have a concept of what that would look like. Um, besides, you know, going and getting my MFA or something. Right. And, and I didn't want to do that. So, uh, you know, what it ended up morphing into was this place where, you know, we would have a lesson on some aspect of writing. And then at the end, there would be a chance to practice. Interesting. Okay. And so at the end of every post on the right practice still to this day, um, people get a chance to put what they just learned into practice immediately. And then then they post whatever they've written in the comment section of the blog Mm -hmm. and they get feedback from other people in the community. And it's been pretty amazing. I mean, we've had, you know, over 50 something thousand comments. Uh, Most of them practices and people giving feedback uh, in the last four years. Wow. Yeah. That loop, that feedback loop sounds pretty, pretty dang valuable. Um, and so if you said 50,000 comments, um, what, 
can you talk about like how much traffic you're getting today or like what you know what you're looking mm-hmm. at as far as your audience how big it is and if someone wants to get involved you know what they're joining yeah i mean i think the last time i checked our analytics we get about 250,000 monthly readers mm-hmm. so people who are reading the blog every day mm-hmm. um and you know a large amount of people are are you know, actually falling through and, and practicing every day. Um, so it's a pretty amazing community, you know, yeah. it's a really encouraging and, uh, and warm place to kind of practice the craft. Have you seen any aspiring writers through the right practice actually go out and publish and, and find, you know, success? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, I get emails all the time from people who are saying, you know, the right practice in our courses and communities, like help them get published and help them finally finish writing their book, their short story and get it out into the world. Um, one of my friends from the right practice, her name's Ruth Ann Reed, mm-hmm. uh, R E I D. And she has a really amazing novel, um, novel series called Among the Mythos. That's the piece. And the the name of the novel is The Sundered, S-U-N-D-E-R-E-D. And her novels are doing incredibly well. So let's define success. Like when you say incredibly well, what does that mean? Yeah, so... Her, her book was number one in dystopian fiction on Amazon. Nice. Something like 200 reviews, not more. Um, she has a good community of readers on her, on her blog and website. And, uh, you know, she, she got started in a lot of ways through the right practice and what we're doing. Does she guest blog for the right practice? She does actually, yeah. She, yeah. yeah she's now a writer for us. I was going to say that'd be a pretty uh, interesting path to take. You know, take what you've learned on the right practice, and then you know, sort of loop, you know, go publish, then loop back around and help help the have the right practice help you build your audience as well. Right. His yeah. guest posts are are a great way to do that. Um, yeah. So let's talk about platform just a little bit because you said you wanted to you know create the right practice as a means to to develop a platform for yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, what advice could you offer to the aspiring author to, you know, start building a platform and, and to gain that audience? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if I were giving myself advice four years ago, I would have said, you know, don't expect your writing blog to be the best project for your, to build your platform. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to write fiction, um, you probably don't want to be focusing on writing nonfiction articles as a way to build your platform. Interesting. Yeah. And fortunately for me, you know, I just, I, I genuinely wanted to teach the craft. Yeah. Um, it was something I was really interested in. Would but, you say, would you say the right practice is more focused on fiction or nonfiction? Yeah, it's definitely focused on creative writing specifically. Okay. So memoir, fiction, and we do, you know, work with and speak to a lot of writers who are doing nonfiction. Yep. Um, But it's definitely focused on fiction writers Uh and memoir. Um, So you're saying that the traditional, well, not traditional, but, you know, some of the stuff you read, you go out and write all these blog posts. They're not necessarily fiction blog posts. That doesn't, that doesn't necessarily apply to the fiction writer. And and, what would you recommend for them? I think, you know, as fiction writers, we hear this advice to go out and start a blog and start a Twitter account and do Facebook and all this stuff, you know, pick a niche Mm-hmm. And, and it just doesn't really serve us that well as fiction writers mm-hmm. um, because fiction writers, creative writers build their platform through their stories, right? So JK Rowling, uh, mm-hmm. you know, never really had a blog uh, <laughs> until well after she was famous, right? 
but um, yeah, but I mean, she might be a bit of an an outlier. <laughs> yeah, well, how, she, how, how she, she King never had a blog or a true. You know, let's, now let's, that's a Twitter account. It's awesome. But the point is, is that you know the stories are the platform. Okay. Yeah, I understand. Got it. And you know, you can use your stories to build your platform. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, in terms so, of like specific advice, uh, there's a book called Reader Magnets. Yeah, I've read, I've read that. That's a very good little book. Yeah. So I think that's kind of like the best way to build your platform as a fiction author. Yeah, you know, I actually agree. I think it's a pretty awesome. That's by Nathan. Do you remember his name? Blanking. I'll, I'll link it in the credits. No big deal. Um, yeah, that's good. I'm actually going to be pursuing that pretty soon and testing those waters. So I'm actually, I'm actually quite excited about it. Um, cause, cause that's what I was going to say. Like, so, so I think fiction writers, uh, well, writers in general have a difficulty finding visibility, right? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, you know, fiction writers especially. So, I mean, how, how, <sighs> you go and write something, you know, and, and you don't have a blog, but you put your story out there, but the story enters a, a cacophony of noise. Like there's so mm. much other fiction out there. How does someone break through that and really, you know, start to build an audience because they ping on their radar? You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I think you just have to write good things and mm-hmm. put it out into the world and one reader at a time. Right. I mean, the same is true in the nonfiction world. I had to, you know, I had to hustle my way to creating a blog that people actually read. <laughs> yeah. It took me and, and it, and it wasn't my first try, you know, it took me six years of five years of blogging before I finally started the right practice and yeah. it became something. Yeah. You know? Um, so you, you just have to, you have to hustle and it's always been like that. You know, mm-hmm. I think uh, we kind of idealize the industry the publishing industry as that as if it's going to be this savior for our writing. Uh, and the reality is, you know, it may have been a savior for a few writers in the last 50 years, but for most of history, writers have had to hustle. Mm-hmm. Writers have had to do the hard work of getting their own words out into the world. Uh-huh. Um, it's, it's just, it's not done for you. You know, give, give me an, an example of hustling. Like, what can a writer do to hustle? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can talk to people, right? Yeah. So you can go to the meetups, uh, like the one we met at and yeah. you can meet other writers and, and those writers can, uh, introduce you to their audiences and you mm-hmm. can introduce them to your audiences mm-hmm. just like we're doing right now. Yeah. Um, and you can, you know, look at ways to give your books away for free. Yeah. Uh, and, and hopefully, you know, you have a link in there back to your website saying that, you know, if you subscribe, maybe you get another free book. Mm-hmm. Um, that sounds just like reader magnets. <laughs> exactly. You know, and yeah. you can do anything you can to build relationships with yeah. uh, readers uh, and your stories. Mm-hmm. Um, the goal is to get people interested in your stories. Yeah. You know? And, and to build those relationships and, and doing it any way you know how. I have a friend who's like amazing at building street teams, uh-huh. you know, at like very old school, like uh, band tactics, you know, uh, rock band tactic, like tactics. Like guerrilla, guerrilla marketing kind of right, thing. Right, gor- yeah. guerrilla marketing and taking stickers and putting yeah. it on toilets and uh, you know, having postcards to hand to everyone he knows and, yeah. and just, just doing all the tactics. The late nineties. <laughs> exactly. You know, <laughs> and sometimes that stuff still works, you know, it doesn't yeah. have to be on the internet that you do this stuff. Uh-huh. Um, the internet can make it easier, but uh, it's just about getting people to know about you and your books. Mm-hmm. So the, publishing industry we talked about that a little bit actually let's back up for a second i think that what you just said is basically putting your books out there for free right if you're not if you're not well known if no one knows who you are that's your pro bono phase right that's your yep. way of building the credibility so that you have an audience and you know you gain the permission of people right. to actually sell to them later um and uh, i think that's actually quite a sound strategy so that's um that's really good so back to publishing I mean, where, where, how do you feel about the publishing industry, industry today and like where it's going and, 
you know, how that all plays into indie authors and such? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think we're obviously in, in the mess of that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the industry has been disrupted by the internet mm-hmm. and now we're trying to sort out what that actually means. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I just have, you know, I'm, I'm hearing from, you know, the authors United group and, um, some authors I really respect and how they're, you know, pretty angry about where the industry is and where it's headed. What are they um, angry about specifically? Uh, they, you know, they think Amazon has a monopoly and uh, they think it's unfair to writers and that the publishing model has always been about, uh, you know, making money through bestsellers, mega mm-hmm. bestsellers, and then giving it back uh, to kind of the artists and, you know, the T.S. Eliot's and the Hemingway's and the people that don't sell as many copies, but are still making great art. Um, and that model is, isn't really working in as much anymore. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they really see publishing as kind of the benefactor of writers who are doing something that matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and personally, you know, I'm sympathetic to that argument, but uh, I just don't, I don't think publishing is that. I don't think it ever really was that. Um, I think it's always sort of been a business, at least yeah. for the last 50 years. Mm-hmm. Um, their goal was to make money. And, and, you know, they did that by throwing spaghetti on the wall. Um, yeah. And, you know, what it is now is that I can throw my own spaghetti at the wall and be a lot more fulfilled, hopefully, doing that. Uh, and, and two, you know, I just, I think it's an idealized view of publishing. I mean, I actually think we're returning back to something that publishing was maybe 50 or 100 years ago. Um, you know, in 1917, Virginia Woolf started her own publishing company. <laughs> I did not know this. You know? And Virginia uh-huh. Woolf is, you know, this lion of a literary figure. And yeah. she had to publish herself, you know, and mostly what she published was her own books, but she published the books of her friends. She published T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland, you know. Um, Interesting. And, you know, that book wouldn't be published now, and it wouldn't have been published 30 years ago. Uh, it, it's risky. So you know? are you saying that the publishing industry like 50 years to 100 years ago was a lot more entrepreneurial where individual authors would actually put this, put their own skin in the game and uh, put their work out there and, and hustle on their own? And that's sort of what we're seeing as a return to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. I mean, I think publishing has always been a cottage industry. Mm-hmm. Writing has always been a cottage industry. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you have publishers owned by major media conglomerates. Um, and a lot of these conglomerates are foreign, you know, they're in Germany and France. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, it, it's, it's, it feels to me like publishing was trying to be something that it's not, and maybe never should have been. Uh-huh. Um, I could be wrong and, and maybe you'll get some hate mail. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like hate mail. I'll bring it on. It's all good. Um, so uh, back to this idea, though, that that these big mega sellers, the ones that would carry a lot of the revenue for these publishing houses, would 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 support these other authors who are actually producing, you know, more artistic works. Um, mm-hmm. Is that is that sort of like an idea around maybe patronage, or is that is that how that worked? Is I, I didn't actually know that that some of that money would siphon into supporting like the Hemingways. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I mean, that's, that would be that's a- been the goal. And that's been, that's kind of what, you know, the Authors United crowd is standing up for. They mm-hmm. want it to be that. Yeah. It's sort of a patronage of yeah. the bestsellers funding the people that aren't selling as much. Have you heard of a site called patreon.com? Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's pretty cool. I saw it recently and, and it's a site where basically an artist can go and ask for month, monthly money or a single amount of money to produce some type of artwork or to be mm-hmm. supported while they, you know, make their art. And, um, I'd really like to, I'd really like to see that idea 
um, be tested because mm-hmm. I think that, you know, some of the greatest artwork, you know, from the Renaissance days, more painting and such was all patron based. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, you just telling me now that, that, uh, these mega sellers would, would sort of act as patrons or, or some of that money would siphon to, into your other, in these, these other artistic works. You know, I think, I think that's important, um, that, you know, we start to explore that again, especially as there's this splintering, um, of, of the publishing industry into like entrepreneurs and the big fives, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting, but, um, you've got some published fiction, right? Under your name. I only have one short story Mm -hmm. that's published called hands. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I saw that. I, I don't have any novels. They're all in the workshop right now. When you, what's the workshop? It's it's uh, is it your mind? They're, they're too <laughs> too bad to read right now. <laughs> ah, I gotcha. So you're working on a few novels right now. Yeah, definitely. Well, can you tell me a bit about your creative process when it comes to writing? You know, fiction, your own fiction. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. My my creative process is really messy and probably not something anyone should follow. (laughs) (laughs) I listened, I listened to, to, well, I listened to this interview by Seth Godin one time and Uh he was on copy blogger. I don't know if you listened to that. Yeah. And, uh, he said, Brian Clark asked him like, what's your process look like? What's your writing process look like? And it surprised me. Seth Godin says, uh, you know, I think it's very important that I don't answer that question. Interesting. <laughs> and he said, you know, my process is so crazy and weird uh, that, you know, if you tried to follow it, it would actually set you back, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, we all have, you know, a weird way of writing. Yeah. And if we focus too much on, you know, how this person writes and how that person writes, like it, it kind of defeats the point. You're supposed to write the way that you want to write. Mm-hmm. And the point is not to focus on how to write. The point is to develop a desire to yeah. write and a desire that's really going to sustain you through the really hard parts of yeah. writing because there are definitely parts of writing. And there are some are slogs. Horrible. Yes. Yeah, I totally you agree. Um, well, I, I, I totally am on board with, with, you know, the idea that everyone has their own sort of approach, but mm-hmm. I, I know that I've found some value in researching at least structuring a novel and things like that. Like say the sure. snowflake method versus, um, you know, writing by the seat of your pants or just being an insane yeah. out- outliner. You know, I, I actually, uh, work well on that fractal type method where snow, yeah. you snowflake and iterate. Um, I mean, do you have anything like that for when you're structuring something or you just write by the seat yeah. of your pants or how does that work? I'm, I'm like somewhere in between those two. I like them both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, I think, you know, what I, what my ideal method is to write the story as quickly as I can and just kind of the story. You know, just like you would tell the story to a friend yep. and it doesn't have to be artistic. It doesn't have to be terribly dramatic. Mm-hmm. It's just trying to get kind of the story down yep. and then to go back and, uh, and, you know, outline it and figure out what you have and, and turn it into kind of a, a workable outline and really go to work on it mm-hmm. and really kind of get into the guts and make major changes and, uh, you know, mess it up and fix it yep. and, and uh, turn it into kind of that structured thing, but it's structured from serendipity, I guess. Yep. Yeah, no, I think you, I le- mean, have to, you have to leave room for epiphany, right? Yeah, so exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I'm actually very similar. Uh, you know, you'll quickly block in, you know, like if you're painting, you're going to block in all the colors and stuff and sort of get the, the general gestalt and feeling out there yeah, and definitely. then you start detailing you start dialing in you do remove parts you'll redo parts i i think that's actually quite a a powerful way to do it that that i think yeah. most people can take from but i know there's some authors that are insane that just write from front to back and i don't know how they do that <laughs> yeah yeah um so like where, where do you look for writing advice like to whom do you fo- you know follow their advice on writing yeah, I mean, I've read a lot of writing books and, and I find it valuable. I mean, a few of my favorite books are um, actually Save the Cat, which is about screenplay. 
writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find those cross um, uh, genre sort of writing books are good where it yeah. goes between. So I love that book and uh, I love Annie Dillard's The Writing Life, which is kind of more memoir than instruction. Um, and, you know, On Writing by Stephen King is great. That is such a uh, good book. I love that book. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, and, you know, really, though, the, the two places I think I look at the most for, mm-hmm. I don't know if you'd call it advice, but just kind of instruction or guidance are, you know, the classics. Like Strength and, and White? No, more like, like Hemingway. Yeah, or okay, sure. Like Cormac McCarthy. I don't know if you would call him a classic yet, but I love him. And, and also, you know, the second thing is, is actually the market. I think readers will tell you how to write as well as great writers will. And, you know, there's a difference between pandering to the market and writing, you know, the next big twilight or the next big 50 shades of gray. Yeah and learning from the market. So how do you, how do you go about gathering that type of feedback from an audience? Like knowing, uh-huh. how, like fi- finding that voice that's going to resonate with them. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you know, you know, um, something that I found that, that uh, uh, really worked for me is this site called NetGalley. Have you heard of it? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So I put Modern Rituals up there, which is my book. And uh, yeah. man, um, for everyone that loved it, there were some people that hated it. And it's, int- you know, I, I really started to understand what, <laughs> what, what I had done to piss off some people and just mm-hmm. understanding their expectations. And um, it's right. really, that really helped inform my process. It was extremely yeah, valuable absolutely. feedback. Um, yeah, I believe in that. Um, yeah. I, you know, I guess, I guess part of it is just putting your book out there. People are going to you know, either crap all over it or not. <laughs> yeah. And um, I guess that's where you'd find that, that yeah. nice line to write I, from. I'm all about beta readers. Yeah. You me know, too. And, and some people will say, you know, you should get a few beta readers. I say you should get as many beta readers as you can absolutely, you know, as you can get. Where would uh, you go about I tell getting people, beta readers? Like get 30 beta readers. Wow. And, and how would you yeah. go about gathering all these people? And, uh, you know, on your blog and on Facebook and through yeah. your friend groups and, yeah. You know, however, you can through your friends, friends groups, um, through what, other author blogs that you know. What um, would you say is are, are the requirements for a beta reader? Because you don't just want anyone reading your book. Because sometimes that can be counterproductive. I think, but I do. I do believe I, I use beta readers and I, yeah. I value them quite a bit. Um, yeah. Like, what What satisfies an excellent beta reader? Like, what would you look for? Well, I would actually say personally, I think you should get anyone. Um, and here's why, okay. because, you know, there's kind of two approaches you can take. You can, you can give it to five people that you really trust. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's say that, you know, one or two of them don't like something, uh, then you could be crushed. You know, you're like, Oh, I'm a terrible writer. They didn't like mm-hmm. what I wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, is this me or, or are they misreading it? Like, should I really take this feedback? Are they, you know, is something wrong with, is something wrong with them, you know, and you have to deal with that kind of problem. Um, But if you give it to 30 people, let's say, and one or two people say, oh, this part sucks, you know, then it's like, well, you're probably misreading it, you know, because people do misread things and, and it happens all the time. But if half the people say, you know, this sucks. Then, you know, you know, you have to pick something. Yeah. I definitely think you brought up re- two really good points. Um, one, learn how to take criticism. <laughs> yeah. Um, don't, don't let it completely destroy you because you know, they're, 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 they're going after your work. They're not going after you personally. Right. And two, it's all about consensus, right? So red flags, when, when you get feedback from beta readers, you know, it's all about where are the, where are the, where's the consensus as to where things aren't working. And, um, that's, you know, by far, I think the most valuable, you know, thing, uh, a group of beta readers can actually provide you. So that's very good. Very good point. Yeah. And, and, and you don't have to take feedback. I mean, you can say thank you to feedback and, and you can take the feedback, you know, well, um, mm-hmm. respectfully, yeah. uh, 
but that doesn't mean you always have to apply it. It's your book. Yeah. Uh, and you know, you choose is, is this good feedback? Is this something that would help your story in your book? Mm-hmm. Um, then if it is, then, then do it. And if it's not, then don't. And, and maybe, you know, maybe you need to think about like whether this is, you know, your pride saying it's not good feedback, mm-hmm. um, which is very possible. Yep. Uh, but, you know, I think, I think you have to choose on, on what your book is going to look like. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I kind of experienced that a little bit um, when I hired a copy editor for mm-hmm. Modern Rituals. You know, she made a lot of suggestions, most of which I took because they were actually quite yeah. good and I didn't, I didn't really know what I was doing as well as I thought I did. But, you know, some of them I did want to fight for. Like, what are your thoughts on, you know, a real aggressive copy editor? And do, do, you, do you factor in copy editing your process or do you just copy edit your own books? Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely copy edit um, and I, you know, ask some of my beta readers to do that or, or it just happens naturally. Mm-hmm. You know, some people are more grammatically inclined than others and, yeah. um, and they'll do that. Uh, but what I definitely hire is an editor, um, both, you know, a copy editor and a content editor. Let's, let's define those then. So what does a copy editor do and what does a content editor do? Yeah. So sometimes they're the same person. Like if you go to a publishing house, they're probably going to be the same person, but not always. Um, but a content editor is focused on the structure of the book. Uh, it's they're focused on, um, you know, your, your voice, your style, Mm -hmm. uh, characters, Mm -hmm. uh, whether the novel flows, whether it works. Mm -hmm. Um, and so they give really good feedback. Yeah. Uh, on on the content, uh, a copy editor is mostly focused on the words and the word choices you use, whether they're grammatically correct, whether there are typos, trying to make it readable. You know, if you have mm-hmm. some awkward phrasings, they'll clean that up for you. Yeah, uh, and so both are super valuable. Would you say a copy editor is akin to a proofreader, or is a proofreader a whole like a proofer or whatever? Um, is that, is that what we're talking about as far as copy editing goes, like more of a proofer versus... They can be. I mean, they definitely proofread. Yeah. So they're kind of one of the proofreading people. If you went to a publishing house, for example, they would have a team of people proofreading. It'd be like five to ten people uh, reading through meticulously looking for mistakes. And, you know, even then they, they miss things which is crazy. Yeah, I know. It's human nature, man. Just too much, too much noise, not enough signal. Brain yeah, goes numb. Absolutely. What, um, where, if someone, you know, for indie authors, they don't have a publishing house. Like where could they go seek out a good copy editor, a good content editor, um, you know, to help them with their work? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, the usual, like you can always ask on Twitter, Um, you can always ask, you know, you, you probably know really good copy editors. I know good copy editors. Yeah. Um, so your friends kind of know good copy editors. So what what you're saying, Joe is, is email us and we will tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) Cool. That's actually, you know, that's not too far from the truth because when I was looking for copy editors, um, before I, I just went out and emailed as many authors I could find and, and, you know, it was like, Hey, who do you use? Um, you know, Hugh Howie actually had a few people on his website and and then I, I actually, I think I emailed them and then they were like, now we're, I'm too busy because Hugh made me famous. And then, so then they gave me five others and I finally, you know, landed on the one that, that I actually really liked. You know what I look for is someone who's actually written a book on copy editing too. Hmm. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, cause, uh, cause my copy editor, she actually had written a really good book on it and, um, it was, uh, that, that really helped confirm that she was the right choice. Um, her name is Marty Bacanda, by the way, I'll actually link to her. Um, but cool, man. So to wrap things up, I want to know, like, so the right practice is, is, is obviously this is great success. You've helped a lot of people. What, has been most rewarding for you um, a part of this whole venture? That's a good question. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I think it's probably the same thing that any writer would say is, is that you start to feel known. Mm. 
You know, I think all of us have something in us and, and this is probably why we become writers that wants to get out, yep. that wants to explain, you know, what's going on inside of you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the amazing thing is, is that through the writing pro- process just itself um, and, and, you know, kind of my biggest success is that people like kind of know me, you know, they yeah. know, they know not just me, but they know what's going on in, in me. Yeah. in my soul or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, I think, I think that's a powerful thing. Yeah. Um, I forget the writer I was listening to, to there's a really good, great courses, um, series on writing and I can't remember any of it. I'm going to go ahead and link to it. But yeah. one of the things is I believe it was Orwell had like five or three rules for writing. And one of which was writers have to be known. They, they have to, yeah. there's this egotistical drive and it's not right. egotistical necessarily in the sense that I'm better than you. It's just that, you know, it's, I want people to hear me and um, cause I have something to give them. Yeah. And, you know, and I think I, he says something like we're deluding ourselves if we pretend that it's not true. Absolutely. I, I, and I, that's what I was gonna say. Those is a very honest answer. Yeah. Um, I'm really happy you said that. Cause I actually, I fully believe that. Yes, you are deluding yourself. If you, you know, it's, it's, it's selfishly selfish. It's a yeah. selfishly yeah. selfish motivation. Yeah. And I think those are the best kind. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Um, so Joe, where can people find out more about you? Um, go ahead and give them the lowdown on, on everything that, that you can do and where they can find out. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the best place to start is the right practice.com W R I T E practice. Uh, and then I have kind of just a landing page, Joe bunting.com mm-hmm. with a few links to some of the things I work on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, one of the things that we do also is called story cartel. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like NetGalley, but for kind of regular readers. Mm-hmm. Um, and we help authors get reviews on their books and get it out into the world. And it's storycartel.com. Great. Great. Well, I am so happy that you, you appeared on this, this podcast. And I, I have to thank you again for taking the time and, uh, and speaking with me. And, and um, I think that people are going to love this. Yeah, well, thank you, Leonard. It's been, you know, a really cool experience and and you're a great guy. So, <laughs> well, thank you. I'm hanging out. <laughs> cool. For more episodes and giveaways, head over to www.bleedinginc.fm. That's www.bleedinginc.fm. If you want to help me out even more, you can go check out my book, Modern Rituals, The Wayward Three, on Amazon today. And also, I don't know if you guys know this, but I'm a software guy and I make tools for writers. Check out jslauthor.com. That's for J.S. Leonard, jslauthor.com. There you can sign up for my mailing list, get free tools, and all kinds of awesome stuff. Thanks for listening. Dry. See you next time.